Hello, is this thing on? Of course it is. They can definitely hear us. Yeah, we're in our fourth season. There's no silencing us now. Welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion on health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And I'm Sarah Fung, and we are your podcast hosts. Please make sure that you subscribe to our new YouTube channel where you can watch our podcast in video format. Please hit the subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Emily Callie Callahan is a nurse activity manager for Doctors Without Borders. Uh, MSF. She was evacuated last Wednesday and arrived back in the U.S. just over the weekend. First of all, how does it feel to be out? A lot of people keep asking me that, um, and I really don't have a good answer. Um, I obviously have a sense of relief that I'm home and I'm with my family and feel safe for the first time in 26 days and I'm having a really hard time finding any joy in any of it um, because me being safe is the result of having to leave people behind. People watching this have seen images from Gaza. They've seen the hospital images. They've seen the horror of children dead day after day after day after day. I mean, they've seen all the images. But to actually be there and to experience it, you're experiencing all these things which a camera can never capture. So could you just talk a little bit about what stand when you close your eyes at night, what is it you think about now? I think the answer to that question, I think I, I'll start at KYTC, which was we were we were relocated about five times over the course of 26 days due to security concerns. And one of the places we wound up was the Khan Yunis Training Center. We call it KYTC. That's when people had evacuated to the south. So you were in the south of yes, Gaza at that Yes, when we point. went to Wadi, below Wadi Gaza line. And there were, by the time we left there, there were 35,000 internally displaced people living alongside us. There were children with just massive burns down their faces, down their necks, all over their limbs. And because the hospitals are so overwhelmed, they are being discharged immediately after, and they're being discharged to these camps with no access to running water. There's 50,000 people at that camp now in four toilets. They're given two hours of water every 12 hours. There's and four toilets for 50,000 people. Yes, um, and that's where we were living too. And they have these fresh, open burns and wounds and partial amputations that are just walking around these conditions. and parents are bringing their children to us going, please, can you help? Please, can you help? And we have no supplies. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your hosts for today. So today is a very timely topic. And I think there's no better time to talk about humanitarian crisis, humanitarian efforts, and what are nurses' roles in, you know, when it comes to war, when it comes to conflict. And I think we can go back a little bit and we're going to go 
way back. And I think when we start talking about even, you know, nurses' role in conflict and in war, um, it has always been. Like, nurses mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. always been on the front lines, being in places where there is war and conflict, because a part of our job, again, it doesn't change whether there's war or not, is to continue to look after patients and families, victims, whomever the case may be, whoever comes across our table, to continue to care for them. Mm-hmm. And I think what what makes war and things like this unique is the fact that now we're dealing with a, an international or national conflict. And there are lots of different avenues. And I think, again, like when I said, going way back, the first things that we hear again, and of course the story and the narrative is always biased as we go back to, you know, the war in Russia led by, it says led by Florence Nightingale that revolutionized nursing. And again, I always like to preface that, you know, um, Florence Nightingale was not the only person who was working during the war. She did make calls to have other nurses. Other nurses were involved in the war, um, uh, primarily uh, Mary Seacole. And there was actually issues there. I am sure you probably know a little bit about the history. Mm -hmm. We talk about the history in our upcoming book. And it's just, it's always... um, it's, there's always that inner conflict where, yes, we have to talk about the great things that Florence Nightingale did as as a nursing revolutionary, but also the fact that there was racism and the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, when she called for help and wanting more nurses and Mary Seacole was like, hey, I can do this work. I've been doing this work um, in other European countries that um, it was like, no, not not you. But again, Mary Seacole did help. Right, right. And I think just from a historical perspective, what did we learn about nursing and war in nursing school? I will Nothing. tell you that I think we might have glossed over World War I and World War II, which is a start. But the sad truth is we're still dealing with war and conflict today. Right. And nurses are still very much a part of it. And I think we want to take more of a modern perspective on what's happening what nurses roles are because the truth is nurses have always been involved in war right whether it was in a formal or informal role um, there's always been caregivers of some kind providing medical care for those who are injured in war so we want to sort of talk about what's going on and I do feel like it is sad that we have to still talk about this in this day and age but we can't hide from the fact that everything is happening in the world that's bad right now and we need to talk about it and i'm actually glad that we're doing this episode we've never talked about war at all on the podcast and it's really fitting that uh remembrance day and veterans day is coming up along with everything else that's been happening in the world so let's dive into it let's talk about um you know what can we learn from it and i just want to let everyone know if you're feeling triggered by anything we talk about today please take time for yourself you know take care of your mental health and do some research on your own if that's more helpful for you 100% thanks for prefacing that and I think the other piece is the fact that you know although we have been for many years involved in this we still have an active role to play today Um, there have been people that had reached out to me that were very concerned about us having this episode and how do we not during this time talk about what our role is or what our role should look like Um, one of the things I was quite disturbed by was not seeing enough healthcare professionals talking about it and knowing that when I think the my eye-opening experience was actually going to ICN um, and hearing nurses who are were actively working during the war. And ICN, just for those oh, yes. of you that don't know, stands for International Council for Nurses. So it was an uh, international co- council that we went to um, in Montreal this year. Yes. Yeah. And I think for me, it was a huge eye opener because like, although I've had family members, so my grandfather and my great grandfather both were in the war. 
Uh, they never really talked about like nurses' roles. <laughs> I, don't, I, guess, I mean, they had their own roles to play, and I just it just never was even something that occurred to me. And maybe it's not something that occurs to a lot of other folks as well. Right, and I think um, unless you're really injured, right, you probably wouldn't encounter a nurse. Or sadly, if you didn't make it, you didn't make it back to talk about all the great care that they received. So, yeah. so yeah. again, for, like for myself, I, I don't I don't want to speak for Sarah, but it was kind of real an eye opening moment. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the place where we heard. I believe. I don't make sure I say her name right. She was the chief nursing officer of Ukraine, Katerina Balbanova, who spoke about her experience um, during the Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict and war about her experiences and about what nurses were experiencing. So maybe we can dive into the first question, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't remember what it is. And so, Sarah's going to help with this right so now. <laughs> we just want to touch on, does a nurse's role change during crisis or war? And I'll just start by saying, yes, it does change significantly during times of war and other crises. So... Um, I just want to touch upon a few things. So first of all, just practically speaking, triage and emergency care, nurses will be dealing with very traumatic injuries. Um, I don't want to go into those types of details, but you know, just like triage and emergency care, mass casualty management. So it's not like patients are going to be trickling in one at a time. Uh, There's not really exactly going to be an ambulance service. It could be, you know, 10, 20, 30 injured soldiers coming in all at once and kind of how you manage that. And if you think about from a hospital perspective, we have different codes, right? Right. But they're highly organized. Um, There's lots of resources. There is outside help. Whereas when you're in a war zone, you're in. And (laughs) you kind of have to be a nurse on the fly. Uh, Trauma care. And a really huge one I want to touch upon is mental health support. So uh, caring for the caregivers is something that I think we're all familiar with with the pandemic is just taking care of your own mental health so that you can continue to provide the care that's needed. Never mind the mental health of the uh, patients that you're dealing with, right? So even the term post-traumatic stress disorder, I believe, came out of the Vietnam War. That term did not exist back in the day. People were just expected to deal with everything, all the horrors they saw during war, but now there's an actual term for it. And that actually came from war times. So, you know, really taking care of and being aware of mental health support. Um, Another one is, another practical one is just resource allocation. So remember when we were back in, um, I think it was the Alpha or maybe it was Omicron during COVID, and we talked about in the ICU making really difficult decisions about limited numbers of ventilators and who was going to be put on a ventilator and who wasn't. In war times, a lot of times you don't have the resources that you need to care for patients properly. And so making those really difficult decisions can be an ethical dilemma. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then just really reflecting again on what Katerina was saying, and it's very all similar to the things that she mentioned, right? That really, um, particularly it said nursing nurses had to step up during war times with little or no experience and particularly in leadership positions. And some had to stop their roles altogether and lead whole hospital systems. Like I couldn't imagine being like, I'm a frontline nurse. I'm, I'm a year or two in, but now, the responsibility and onus is for me to actually run a clinic, run a whole hospital. So these are some of the things that she mentioned. Also just trying to secure those existing health services and quickly reorganize. So again, that was something that she mentioned. So, you know, it's not just we have war, 
we still have to continue to take care of our cancer patients, our laboring patients, our patients who have other complex issues. Those things don't stop. And I think people don't realize that, you know, during war times, yes, you're going to have all those casualties, but all the pre-existing issues that were already in the healthcare system are still there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're still dealing with how do we reorganize and ensure that we're, you know, continuing to care for the patients that we have. Again, nurses working in conflict zones were trying to manage their various different complex patient mental and physical issues. And the other piece that came out was many nurses were actually subjected to violence from traumatized patients. Mm -hmm. And again, I think this is where you mentioned the whole term PTSD. Some of the people who are coming in are casualties of war. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be untoward or unexpected that, you know, maybe they, they, they're suffering a PTSD break or they're having a break from reality. And again, who is at bedside dealing with this? It's nurses. Mm -hmm. And again, that's where it's like, these are the things that we continue to deal with, not just on our regular shifts, but during wartime. So it makes things like 10 times more, you know, more difficult. And again, that emotional burden is still carried by nurses. I can't, I can't stress enough that we, we continue to talk about mental health. But again, one of the things that Katerina mentioned was that it was almost like the mental health of these nurses were forgotten too, right? Mm -hmm. They're dealing with the conflicts. They're dealing with seeing all of these Th these tragedies and casualties of war, the, still reorganizing their healthcare system, but nobody's thinking about how complex and how difficult this is for the nurses working during this time. And again, it's something that we need to continue to talk about where although we're on the front lines, we still need help too. Mm -hmm. And one of the really heartbreaking stories I saw was, I believe it was during the war in Syria that the entire hospital lost power. Right. And there were nurses that were caring for the babies in NICU who had no power and there were babies that needed ventilation and they were handbagging them for hours because they had lost power and they didn't know what else to do. So, you know, just taking turns bagging them, making sure that they were able to breathe. I don't know what the outcome was, but it was just horrible to think that this is what they had to do and that no help was coming and that they had to just take it in shifts. And meanwhile, you're hearing bombing overhead and you yep. don't even know if the building you're in is going to survive it. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and I think this, again, um, even thinking about the present conflict, we're people are afraid to talk about the present conflict. I think, again, from our nursing lens and our nursing viewpoint, we have to always remember the humanitarian aspect. If, if nothing, that is the one thing that we all should be able to speak about, you know, restoring and what does humanity look like? And you mentioned, you know, how difficult it was in the Syrian war to, you know, not have power by accident. What was, how, how does the situation work when you have access to no electricity, access to no food, access to no medicine? You have these things completely removed. I could only imagine how these nurses or healthcare professionals would feel. I, I don't even know mm -hmm. how we would be able to manage a situation like that. Like, just think about it. Um, I think there was a hospital recently where their security system was hacked and their EMR went down. And just even that alone, like put everything to a standstill. So just think about how much more complex this is. It's not just the EMR system, it's everything. Yeah. So one little hack and we can't document and we're yeah. at a loss. Yeah. So, but so it's like, much worse than that. Sorry, nurses out there that might be having your EMRs down or, you know, you're on downtime and you have to write or, you know, um, you know, maybe you, maybe, maybe the complexity of the situation is just that you're working short. Take a deep breath and think about what's happening across the world. Like 
this is where I would say those are first world problems. We are seeing some of the worst tragedies and we need to think about our other nurses that are suffering at this time during right, conflict. Right, right. All right, next question, Okay, Sarah. next question. Okay, so let's talk about, I think we touched a little bit already on how war affects nurses and nursing. Um, we talked a little bit about types of things nurses may encounter during war. Now, how about this one? How do nurses keep themselves safe during war? <laughs> and again, I think this is, it's really sad that we have to talk about this, but I think it's really important. Yeah. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yes, I'll start. So just practical things like wearing protective gear. So if you are in a war zone, you may need things like helmets, body armor, vests to reduce the risk of injury from shrapnel, bullets, and other projectiles. Um, staying in designated safe areas. So if a, if a healthcare facility is in a conflict zone, there's often designated safe areas and nurses need to stay within these areas to uh, minimize risk of physical danger. Um, maintaining a low profile, which is kind of the opposite of what we talk about. But I think in this situation, it's important to avoid drawing unnecessary attention to yourself uh, by dressing in street clothes rather than uniforms when you're going to and from work. Um, traveling in convoys or larger groups. So when moving between healthcare facilities or from your home to the workplace, if that is the setup, um, security training. So receiving training on security measures, including how to react in case of a security threat or attack. This can include training on first aid and self-defense. Um, evacuation plans. So there should be a plan to quickly leave the area in case of a deteriorating security situation. And this includes also how to safely move patients out of the building if needed. Um, having communication protocols. So we talked about how EMR systems were down. Internet's <laughs> probably going to be down. So don't right. think that you can just pick up your phone and, you know, ask Text for help. Text message your buddy. Right. Help. No. So you may need a, a more like comprehensive security or uh, communication plan. And building relationships with local communities, I think that's something that nurses are great at, but maybe just having a list of your go-to um, people that you can call. And just using your nursing skills, continuing continuously assessing the situation and adapting your actions accordingly. Yeah, so, and I'm going to kind of touch, I'm glad you kind of, you know, summarized that aspect, the safety aspect, but I'm going to summarize also the downsides, right? So unfortunately... Um, hospitals, um, ambulances um, have been military, sorry, let me say this right, military, um, at, uh, okay. saying, occupied? Like no, they've been, I'm not saying that okay. right. Hold on, back it up. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is, um, so I'm going to kind of talk about from the angle from, so I'm glad that you kind of mentioned all the safety aspects, but I'm going to talk about it from the angle from, you know, um, a military uh, standpoint. So unfortunately, hospitals and nursing staff and healthcare staff have been subjected to militaristic strategies. And again, one of the things that they mentioned in the Ukraine and Russia war, and I think this is not un this is not uncharacteristic of war in general, is they have targeted frontline workers like nurses mm -hmm. as a deliberate part of military strategy. One of the things that I also read was many nurses, again, when we're talking about these safety issues, they're not working necessarily in an above ground hospital. Many of the, the, the places that they have now relocated are basements or bunkers, um, to, to, to avoid, you know, bombing and, um, and any types of other types of warfare that might, might occur. Um, there has also been, unfortunately a history 
uh, or I should say, um, an abject failure to actually properly support nurses and healthcare workers during times of war and conflict. So one of the things I found was the safe, so it's called the Safeguarding Health and Conflict Coalition in 2002 reported 1,989 attacks against healthcare facilities and staff in 32 countries, a 45% increase since 2021. And again, you know, during armed conflict and civil disturbances, there have been many assaults on healthcare facilities, health workers, patients who serve. All these things are actually all too common during conflicts and during war. And aside from the human toll they take, these attacks compromise the ability to deliver that safe care to the populations that are in great need. And again, it, it impedes their efforts to reconstruct healthcare systems after war. And it leads to, you know, the flight of healthcare workers in the presence of a time where they're actually really needed. So again, there are huge risks to being a healthcare worker on the front line during a time of war. And the Safeguarding Health Coalition outlines some, and I'm going to read some to you. So during periods of armed conflict, healthcare workers are at risk of torture, abuse, kidnapping and other human rights violations for treating patients or other folks on the side during the conflict. Again, poor mental health and well-being due to living in troubled locations with constant threat or attack. Again, that lack of supplies and vital equipment due to systemic raids. Again, forced displacement due to attacks and fear of continued violence. And again, these dangers contribute to critical shortages in human resources in areas where care is most needed, as well as the decreased efficacy of health professionals, wastage of millions of dollars, and the loss of human capital through migration. I, I think to myself, and I I kind of was playing back and forth with talking to Matthew, another nurse, um, about the conflict. And I said, you know, I don't even think that Canada, we don't have a strategy. Like Canada, let's be honest, Canada is seen as peacemakers. We aren't folks that typically Mm -hmm. go Mm -hmm. to war. We're more about like humanitarian aid and how Mm -hmm. do we keep the peace between the countries. And I don't think there's actually anything outlined, any strategy that... If Canada was to be involved in war, what would that be right, like? Right. And I remember saying to Matthew, I said, you know what? What do you think would happen with us as nurses here in Canada if we were called to war? And uh, he's like, I would want to hide. I wouldn't want to be sent no, out. No, we wouldn't and be I, prepared. I think, I, think that, I think that is a totally normal and human response. Like, I think I, I hear these things and I, I think about how dangerous the situation how much i'd want to help but i think it's a normal human reaction for us to want to hide but i think at the the end of the day we're going to end up turning up to do our job and unfortunately we are seen sometimes as targets during these periods of conflict yeah definitely um how can we support our nurses who are working during conflict gosh okay (laughs) i'm gonna throw out some legal frameworks so there is actually a legal framework for protection and again because canada maybe there are provisions out there please send us if there are but i kind of saw that there are some geneva conventions from 1949 and additional protocols from 1977 that mandates the protection of medical facilities personnel patients and the humane treatment of civilians also the right to have access to care, to care and the non-discriminatory treatment of the ill and wounded during the time of war. This is that international human rights law that is the only international legal framework governing situations of internal violence, and it continues to apply during war, war conflicts. And this is critical. And this is why I continue to say, as nurses, our job is to continue to raise our voices to ensure that even during times of war, that international law is followed. When we are seeing human casualties, innocent folks, 
um, children, women, and men that are being murdered and being a part of a situation that is so difficult, um, we have to ensure that they're protected and that healthcare facilities, mm -hmm. folks working in healthcare, are protected as well under the provisions of the international laws that have been set out. Yeah, and I guess the only thing I would add is just supporting international organizations that are providing these efforts. Um, you know, they're already on the ground. They're very well connected. So look up for those organizations that you can support and just using your voice. What we talk about all the time, you know, just um, talking about what's happening and what needs to be done so that the people making those decisions, the people that have access to those resources can distribute them appropriately to those who need it. Um, and it involves involving government agencies, international organizations, healthcare institutions, and the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that again, you know, I see, and I, I've mentioned this on Twitter, I've mentioned this on various different social medias, you know, a lot of people call themselves thought leaders or, or you know, they're out there and they're social advocates and or whatever the case may be, or they're, they're part of DE&I, diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing a lot of silence and silence is violence. And I think at the very, the very basic, the very basic tenets of us outlined as healthcare professionals is to make sure that we're ensuring that people are being treated like people. Mm -hmm. um, that at the end of the day, if we see something that is not considered humanitarian, it is a basic and fundamental right that we have to raise our voice, to support those basic needs, whether it is making sure that food or electricity or water and these things are essential medical supplies are mm. in these areas during conflict this is not a controversial take to say at the end of the day we all bleed we all are humans mm -hmm. we are facing a very difficult time of war but we still need to follow international law and treat people the way that they should be treated and making sure that if we are seeing a humanitarian crisis that we all lift our voices to see that to see change on either side of the house. It shouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. It is uncontroversial to say that humanitarian need is something that everyone should have as access to. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to mention this one person because um, I was looking through various different works about you know uh, war and healthcare and I found a book, it was called uh, Perilous Medicine. Oh my gosh, now who is it written by? His name is Rubenstein. Oh, what's his last, what's his first name? Ah! I will find it and I will let you know, but the, the book is called <laughs> Perilous Medicine. And essentially what Perilous Medicine outlines is he talks about the pervasive violence against hospitals, patients, nurses, and doctors, and other healthcare workers, how it's become all too common and is actually a, a feature of modern war. Again, these relentless attacks destroy lives and the capacity of healthcare systems to those folks who are tending to those in need. And again, we need some inaction to stop the violence because it undermines those longstanding values that we all hold and laws designed to ensure that the sick and wounded people receive care. Um, I'm going to read it. So I will download it on Audible because, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to mm. sit there and read the book. I'm going to listen to it. Um, but again, it's, it is an important criticism and an important thing that all healthcare workers should be thinking about. What are our roles? What, how can we contribute? And I think that we can contribute by lifting our voices when we see humanitarian mm -hmm. injustices. Yeah, and I think from a civilian standpoint, right? So, you know, how can we prepare ourselves or how should we prepare ourselves for war if we ever had to encounter working during a war or crisis? And Cry. I think 
<laughs> yeah, cry okay. first. Cry. Um, but I think just even if you're listening right now, that is one step. So staying informed about right. what's happening is super important. Don't think that it doesn't affect you or that, you know, it's not happening in our country yet, so we don't need to know. Or, you know, this is a difficult topic, therefore I'm just going to, you know, close my eyes. Or it's too confusing. I can't figure it out. I'm not going to deal with it either. Right. So just some general things with emergency preparedness, you know, preparing for if there was um, not as much food available, not as much water, just just your general kind of things that you might need. Um, and I don't mean that you should go out and panic buy things. I mean, just have like a steady supply of food ready in case, you know, you go to the grocery store and the shelves are kind of bare. Right. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Having like an evacuation plan to keep your family and yourself safe. So where will you go if you are in physical danger? Um I mean, we nurses are good at this already, but just some basic survival skills like first aid, if needed, a first aid kit is probably going to be helpful. Your community and network. So not just, I don't mean just online, right? Get to know your neighbors in your physical area. So if something were to happen, you're not strangers to each other. And I think it's just a good thing in general to know who your neighbors are, right? Um, That really strengthens community and network building. Um, Just stay informed and try to stay calm, you know, it's really just, I don't know, it's challenging. Like, there's not one thing that you can do. It's not like there's a book on what to do in war, but it's just kind of being adaptable and doing what you can, the best you can. Yeah, and I think that I wanted to read this to you because I wanted your your reaction. It's all kind of in the same vein of, like, what are nurses' roles or what can we do to keep ourselves abreast? And I found this article, so it was called A New Approach to Preparing Nurses for War, the Army School of Nursing. And I'm just going to read this to you. And I, I'd love to hear your reaction because when, my, when I read nursing. this, I was like, oh my <laughs> God. So it starts out to say, advances in nursing and medicine often arise to meet the needs of humanity in times of crises, including disasters, wars, and epidemics. These, catastrophe, this, these catastrophic events propel nursing knowledge, practice, and education forward and ultimately lead to improvements in care. Crises often challenge nurses to practice to their fullest extent of their training and develop novel ways to train large numbers of nurses to provide care in difficult uh, settings. This is especially true for nurses serving in the military. How do you find that? (laughs) How do I find that? Yeah, how do you find that, that statement? It's, I mean, it doesn't give you a lot of detail. It's very vague. Yeah, well, okay. my initial reaction to it was the fact that, you know, the fact that there's like, oh, you know, these catastrophic events propel well, innovation. The novel, I, the was novel. Like, I was like, oh my God, interesting. like we are not trying to be novel. We are just trying to survive. I just think that these things can be phrased differently, that it doesn't always put the onus and have no sensitivity. Like we just mentioned. Like novel, like it's novel because conflict. we are doing literally what we can with what we have yeah, is we're that trying novel? we're trying to sub you know it's keep like, our heads it's above like water you're gonna here. learn to swim so i'm gonna throw you in the water is that the best approach <sighs> i don't know i think it could have just been rephrased to say that you know during these times of conflict nurses have to be innovative and doing so it does bring about change but again at the expense of a crisis right i just i i just always find these things very interesting anyhow i did want to mention that um, there are many conflicts that are happening in the world. And I wanted to put out uh, the 10 conflicts to watch. This was, again, pulled from the uh, coalition. Um, sorry, let me make sure I say this right. This, again, was pulled from the Safeguarding Health and Convict Coalition. 
And the 10 conflicts to watch in 2023, of course, are Ukraine, Ar Armenia, I'm, I'm going to say these names wrong, Ukraine, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, Iran, Yemen, Ethiopia, the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Great Lakes, the South Hill, Haiti, Pakistan, Taiwan, and of course, the most current war that we're seeing, Israel and Hamas conflict. Again, I think that there are memberships available in Safeguarding Health and uh, Health and Conflict Coalition. And I, I'm going to post on, on our um, description page all of the folks that are members. Um, I don't see very many. Um, I do see the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions, which I'm, yes. ha I'm happy for. But I think there should be some other Canadian names that are listed here. Again, we need to do our due diligence. We need to make sure that we are abreast and we are at the forefront of having these conversations because nurses play hugely vital roles during war and conflict. And staying silent, like I said, is not an option. Mm -hmm. So let's continue this conversation. This is just the beginning and we'd love to hear what you think and if you have thoughts about future episodes. 100%. And again, Remembrance Day is coming up. And uh, Veterans Day. And Veterans Day as well. And we'd like to say thank you to all of the veterans who have served actively and folks that have, you know, that might still be out there dealing with conflicts. We'd like to thank you for your service. And again, I... I, my grandparents were part of the war, both World War One, World War Two, and I will never forget what my grandfather said to me about war. I, I, I'm lucky to remember some of the stories. I don't remember them all, but one of the things that stuck with me that I will always remember that he said was, "There was nothing good about war." So again, thank you to those who are serving, to our nursing colleagues that are out there fighting on the front lines. We, our hearts are with you and we will continue to lift our voices mm -hmm. when it comes to humanitarian aid and support for nursing as a profession. And again, if you have an opportunity to donate to veterans, please do so. So happy Remembrance Day and thank you for listening to our episode on nursing and war. Thanks everyone.